but it, it was a good, good word for sure. If you're going to follow along this morning in your Bible, we'll be looking at uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. I'm actually going to start reading it at verse 5 of chapter 3 to sort of get some context. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can follow along in the order of worship or on your phone or anything else. So I say to hear the word of God. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that um, to the extent that we rely on works of the law or think that works of the law might save us, uh, that you purge that from us this morning, that you would make us, uh, you would help us to understand uh, the principle of justification by faith alone. Help us to understand what Jesus has done uh, for us and on behalf of us. I pray also for myself that you be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You know, I usually start with a question and I have a question this morning, but I changed it a few times. Even right before I walked out, I thought, you know, for, for Father's Day, instead of asking sort of a hard question, I'm going to ask you a super easy question, dads. Okay, I'm serious. If you've been here, if it's your first time, you're off the hook. But if you've been around for the past few weeks, the question we have this morning is simply this. Do we not? That is a tough one. <laughs> Give me a second here. Yeah? It's so, like, uneventful by the time, like, wah, wah. What is the theme of Galatians, right? Is that beaten into your head yet? We were about in seventh or eighth sermon. Remember, if I said, what is the theme of Galatians? And I would hope you would say Jesus plus nothing, right, equals everything. Or Jesus plus something equals Nothing, right? It's sort of like gospel math here that Paul has been doing for us in the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, as, as the, it's basically a letter written to a church. Paul's, the apostle Paul is extremely frustrated with them because he planted them, he started them, and he preached to them this thing called the gospel. 
right? That Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And he rose again from the dead. And the way we are saved from our sins is by faith alone in his works, not in our works. And he, he, it's sort of like you can imagine him getting, saying, everyone got that, right? So what's the theme again, right? Jesus plus nothing. What is it? is it? Jesus plus nothing. And then he goes on to plant other churches. And while he's gone, some people come in from, from, with a Jewish background. And they say, you know what? Paul was cool and all. And, and Jesus is, you do need Jesus, but you also need circumcision. In other words, Jesus was Jewish. And if you want to be truly uh, part of this faith, you need to trust Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to get the mark of the faith. And Paul hears this, and he, of course, is very upset with this. And that's what this letter is about. And so the first two chapters of this letter is Paul clarifying this thing called the gospel, right? That the way we are made right with God is not by our own works, but by faith alone in the works of Jesus. And he not only defends his gospel, that he got it from, remember he says, I got it from God, not from man, but he also defends his apostleship. In other words, his authority to to preach that gospel, because if they undermine his authority, then his gospel wouldn't count either. And so for the first two chapters, he does that. And then remember in chapter three, it's as if he turns to the whole congregation and says, now, now that I've dealt with that, now we need to have a conversation. Remember how he opened it up. He said in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Basically, Paul appeals to their own experience. And I said last week that the Presbyterians oftentimes were not, were not particularly comfortable with experience or talking about you know, experience or feelings. And Paul basically asks them, here's what I preached to you. What did you experience? Did you experience working, 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 and then the, suddenly the feeling of I've done enough and now God loves me? Or did the Spirit open your eyes to the fact that someone else has done all the work for you? He says, you began that way. How do you think you're going to finish? You think you're going to finish any different way? No. Do you, how do you think you live right now? So he appeals to their experience, but he doesn't stop there. This week, as we look at the text, he, he appealed last week in, in the first part of chapter 3 to their experience, and in the second part of chapter 3, he appeals to the Old Testament. In other words, did you, you experienced what I preached, but now let me show you how the Old Testament set, also says what I preach. How the Old Testament also affirms this principle of justification by faith alone. So he looks at, we'll look at three things today. We're going to look basically at the gospel according to Abraham. We're going to look at the gospel according to the law. And then the gospel according to the promise. Now you could, another way to put that is you could say we're going to look at the gospel according to Abraham, the gospel according to Moses, and then the gospel according to Jesus. Right? Those three. But basically Paul's going to tell us what... Uh, Abraham has to teach us about the gospel and what Moses has to teach us about the gospel and then what Jesus has actually done to accomplish this thing we call the gospel. So the first thing when he talks about Abraham, notice I'm going to start with verse 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So the, the logical question, if you're studying this passage, you're reading it, is why, why bring up Abraham suddenly? 
Most commentators think that the, the, the Judaizers, the agitators that came in, were using Abraham sort of as a, as a wedge for Christians. In other words, they're saying, okay, you need to trust Jesus plus circumcision. But also, remember, Abraham is the father of the Jews. And if you want to be a son of Abraham, if you want to be blessed in Abraham, you need to be circumcised too, right? Abraham was a Jew. Abraham was circumcised. You need to also be circumcised. So many people think Paul's evoking Abraham to show them that before circumcision ever came around, it was justification by faith alone or credited righteousness. So we have to basically build some context here. Who was Abraham? I'm going to look at the book of Genesis for a few minutes here. So in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in the Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren and had no child. Terah took Abram, his son-in-law, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur to the, of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So in the context of this whole book of Genesis, remember the, 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 the first 11 chapters of Genesis could be called sort of primeval history of Adam and Eve, and you have Noah, and remember it said that every thought of the, the intention of man's hearts were evil all the time, and basically the, the, you had the flood, and then after the flood, the, the earth is repopulated, then you have the Tower of Babel, where people are trying to make a name for themselves, and God scatters all of humanity, and at that point you think, we're done right? How in the world is, is, who could fix this? And at that point, we hear about God initiating with this wealthy pagan shepherd named Abram. Now, it's interesting because remember, he's a, he's a pagan shepherd, and he had a wife named Sarai who was barren. In other words, she could not have children. And it makes very clear in chapter 11, it says, now his wife was barren. That's important because what comes next is in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. Now, what's important ultimately to Paul's argument is Abraham is not a Jew here. He is not the father of the Jews here. He is just a, a we think maybe a moon-worshipping pagan who is minding his own business on his way to Canaan. They stop in this place called Haran. And he has this word from God, chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So out of the blue, as it were, God comes to Abraham and he calls him. He says, I'm calling you to go into a land I will show you. We know that it will eventually be Canaan. And I'm going to not only give you this land, but I'm going to give you many descendants. Ultimately, he says, as many as stars in the heaven. Now, remember, Abraham is a single guy. I mean, he's a lone guy with a wife who is unable to become pregnant. But it says, Abraham went. So we see like his faith there. Now what happens after that, after Genesis chapter 12, it looks like everything in the world that could happen to ruin this promise is happening. 
right? Abraham goes down toward Canaan. There's a famine. He goes into Egypt, and Pharaoh takes Sarah as a wife. And then God reveals that, and Pharaoh's a little upset, and so they kick him out of Egypt. He goes out, and then he, they have a problem with Lot, his, his nephew. And after having this problem with Lot, Lot gets kidnapped, and Abraham now has gotten sideways with all the kings in the land, and he has to do this basically like this ranger rescue mission to rescue uh, Lot, and he does that, and after that, you can imagine all the peoples in the, in the surrounding areas were upset with him. Then you have this, this weird interchange between him and a, a king priest named Melchizedek who bows down to him and pays Abraham tithes. And then after all that, this is about 20 years later, Abraham finally hears from God again. By the way, as a, as a side note, I always wonder, like, what it would have been like to be Abraham. You hear this voice, I guess. I don't know if it was audible, if it's Presbyterian, it wasn't. So how did he hear it? <laughs> so he gets his word from God, and he goes, but then he doesn't hear anything for decades. He nurtured that hope that he had. So what happens? Well, by chapter 15, God comes to him again. By this time, he and Sarai are getting pretty old. And it says in chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. The number of stars, if you're able to number them, the number of the stars, if you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, what comes next is just, it, it changes everything for the rest of the Bible. Abraham did not say, I don't believe that. That's BS. We've been walking around here for 20 years. You promised this a long time ago. Sarah is like 100 years old. And yet God takes him and reiterates the promise, shows him the stars of the heavens, says, you won't be able to number your descendants. And verse 6, it says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, period. That's it. That's the principle of faith alone. It doesn't say Abraham believed him and did all these things, and so God loved him. God made Abraham a promise, and he believed it, and God credited to him that as righteousness. Now, what's interesting is what comes next is, is Abraham is foolish enough to say, well, how, am I, how do I know this is going to happen? Right? So I, he believed him, but then he wanted to know, like, what, what, what's the mechanism by which this is going to happen? And that's where things got a little dicey for Abraham. Right? Verse 8 says, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I should possess it? In verse 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So when Abraham says, how can I know? God, and God says, bring me a heifer and bring, bring me a goat and bring me a ram. Did you notice that Abraham knew exactly what to do with these? He didn't say, what do you want me to do with all those things? God, Abraham said, how can I know? And God said, get all the things ready for a covenant cutting ceremony. And Abraham would have cut these animals in half lengthwise and spread them out and made a path, just this gory path of blood and guts of these animals. And what Abraham knew this was, it was a treaty that kings used to make where, the, where they would cut animals in half 
And one, two kings would walk through these pieces together when they were going to make a covenant. And they would sort of put, go arm in arm, and they would say some version of, if I don't honor my part of this covenant, if I don't honor my promise, may what happened to these animals happen to me. That's what they're getting ready to do. Abraham knew that's what they were getting ready to do. So when God told him to get these animals, he just went about and cut them in half. Now, that doesn't mean Abraham was happy about it. Notice what it says next about Abraham. It says, in verse 11, when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So Abraham was afraid of having to walk through those pieces. Because what a covenant means, on one hand, God basically says, I'll bless you for obedience and I will curse you for disobedience. And so Abraham goes to bed thinking, how am I ever going to live up to the standard of this covenant? How is that going to work? And so what does he do? It's verse 17. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river of the Euphrates, and so on. So Abraham, in, in this vision, he sees two things go through, two people, if you will. He sees a, a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot. That was how God manifested himself to Israel in the desert, right? In the daytime, it was a pillar of fire. In the evening, it was a smoking, or evening is fire. The daytime, it was a smoking fire pot. And what is God saying when he walks through the pieces and Abraham doesn't have to? God is basically saying the same thing. If I don't obey my end of the covenant, the promise I made to you, may what happened to these pieces happen to me. But Abraham, if you don't obey your end of the bargain, if you don't obey your standard of the covenant, may what happened to these pieces also happen to me. That God promised that he would take on the curse that Abraham deserved for disobedience. And now you fast forward to our text that we're looking at in Galatians, that God has promised to take this curse and Abraham has believed God, and he has been counted righteous, verse 6. And he says, know then, Paul says, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In other words, if you know the story of Abraham, it was all faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Even the covenant that God makes with Abraham, Abraham is completely passive in it. He has to do nothing but believe. And so to the people who would come along and tell the, the Christians in Galatia, you need to be circumcised in order to be a son of Abraham. Paul says, absolutely not. If you want to be a son of Abraham, what you need to do is you need to have faith and faith alone in the finished work of the one who would bear the curse. And he says in verse 8, scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So he's saying that when God made the promise to Abraham in chapter 12, Abraham, in you will all the nations be, be blessed, that he was actually preaching the gospel to him beforehand, that, he, that, that somehow the, the, the Gentiles would also be justified by faith or made right with God by faith alone. And that's important for the Gentiles because of the people coming in and saying you need to do all these other things. Most of us in here are also Gentiles. Most of us in here, the only thing we need to do to be saved from our sins is to put our faith in the work of Christ and Christ alone. Paul finishes that thought. He says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in Abraham, we have this principle that justification is by faith alone. He believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Well, how about Moses? What's the gospel according to the law? 
What if you're going to rely on the law? Now remember, gospel means good news. What is the gospel according to the law? Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So it's pretty, he says, what about those who rely on the law? What if you think that you want to rely on the law? Paul says, that's fine. But the gospel according to the law says, if you are going to rely on the law, you are responsible for obeying all of the law. In other words, you can't just pick some of the law. You're responsible for all of the law. And he says, those who rely on works of law are under a curse. Why? He says, cursed be to everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, why does Paul say you're cur- cursed is everyone who relies on works of the law? It's implicit here that we don't have the ability to actually do all the works of the law. So those who rely on the works of the law de, de facto and just by, for the sake of argument are basically uh, cursed. There's no way around it. And now if you think, ask yourself this, you know, try to do, do this thought experiment, right? Let's say you die tonight and you, you go to stand before God and he says, you know what, Tommy, I love you, care about you, but you know, this whole sin thing the only way I can let you into my presence, the only way I would let you into heaven is if somehow this, the, the curse that you're under has been lifted. And that can only be lifted by works, either your works or someone else's. So how have you done with regard to works of the law? Have you obeyed all of them? Well, what would, what would you say? I mean, honestly, if it was me, I would say, I don't even know all the works of the law. Like you mean, all, like the whole Old Testament works of the law or just Ten Commandments? And he said, pick. <laughs> and I'd say, well, not that great. And he said, you know, I'm going to cut you some slack here, Tommy. Forget about the works of the law that are written in the Old Testament. Let's just consider your own low standard of morality. Do you live up to that 100% of the time? What would you say? I, personally, I would have to say, yeah, I don't have what it takes. And he said, well, do you want to rely on that? (laughs) Only a fool would say yes. That's what Paul is saying here. Cursed is everyone who relies on works of the law. Whether it's works of the law brought through the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law, or whether it's works of the law that you have dreamed up in your head, some standard of morality that you have in your head, because none of us have what it takes. And it's interesting as I thought about this as a, as a side note. You know, like I, I saw an AP poll this week that said in the past 20 years, church membership, church participation, church attendance has gone down by 20%. So in other words, every year for the past 20 years, I guess if you average it, church attendance has clicked downward. Now the question is, all these people talk about why that is, you know, that, that people are just more secular, that people don't care. You know, I think a lot of it is, I think it's the church my opinion, because I've met so many people who they view the church as sort of being judgmental. They view the the church as sort of being all about the law. And honest people say, if that's what it's about, I don't have what it takes. So why would I go? 
I mean, I can remember, it was probably 20 years ago now, in Capitol Hill, I, I, I preached one Sunday, and then I got an email from a guy that said, you said that you think the gospel can change anyone. Do you really believe that? What do you think I emailed him back? Reply, no. Yeah, of course I do. I back, of course. I said, I said, why don't you meet me and find out? So we met, and, and as we met, I asked him his story, and he had a pretty amazing story. He grew up as a pastor's kid, and he started getting in trouble when he was about 15 or 16 years old, and the way that it was dealt with is just more law and more law and more law and more accountability and all of these things, and he said he got to a point by the time he graduated high school that if being a Christian meant just being good all the time and doing the right thing all the time and being accountable all the time, he said, I don't have what it takes. And so I just gave up. And he spent the next 20 years living a pretty lascivious lifestyle. And it was starting to break him. And he, he said, what do you think about that? And I said, you know what? That's not the gospel. He said, well, what am I supposed to do then? I said, nothing. He said, yeah, but what do I need to do to get better? I said, nothing. And he said, you're a pretty frustrating person, right? And I'm like, well... What I mean by you must do nothing is there's nothing you can do to make yourself better. The question is, you spent your whole life trying to be a good Christian, but have you ever actually trusted Jesus? You spent your whole life trying to do the right things and do what Christians do in order to be acceptable and to be loved when in fact you are already loved and you're already accepted in the gospel. Have you ever trusted that? And he just broke. And he, he started weeping. And he said, do you have a, any special meetings, any special place for people like me? And I said, absolutely. He said, what time do they meet? I said, 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. He said, but isn't that when church is? And I sort of cocked my head at him. He said, that is church? <laughs> I'm like, now you're starting to get it. All the screwed up people, they're in here. All of you. And if you take offense at that, read the book of Galatians again. Cursed is everyone who relies on works of the law. See, the good news by me saying that you're screwed up is that you could say, thank God, because I don't have to rely on my own works. I rely on the works of someone else. You see, the gospel according to the law is no gospel at all. The gospel according to the law, is, is act, it's not good news, it's bad news. Because if you're going to rely on works of the law, you must rely on all the works of the law. And if you can't do all the works of the law, you will be cursed. You are under a curse even now. So, so where's the good news? Well, the good news actually comes next. Because remember God told Abraham, I will bear this curse for you. Paul says, everyone who relies on works of the law is under a curse. Notice what he says about Jesus and the promise in verse 13 and 14. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So he's talking about all this cursing stuff. Cursed is everyone who, who relies on works of the law. And then he's, the punchline is this. How do you escape that? How, do, how, are, how then can we be saved? And the answer is this, is that Christ became a curse for us. He said Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Or in the Greek, it says on behalf of us. 
In other words, Christ became a curse and took your place. Christ became the curse and took my place. Remember 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that uh, Jesus, became, he who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That Jesus bore the curse that you and I deserved. And Paul quotes the law here. He says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. What is Paul saying about the cross there? You see, in the Old Testament, the, the, basically he's quoting there um, Deuteronomy 21, 23. Well, what they would do is they would uh, kill an offender. They would, they would do capital punishment, usually by stoning. And then after a person was stoned, then they would hang him on a tree or her, hang him on a tree to show people how cursed this person was. So they were, they were, they were killed and then they were cursed. And what Paul is saying here is that when Jesus went to the cross, he was killed by the curse. He was killed for the curse. He was killed on behalf of the curse. That the cross was the tree. And what the reason that we can have hope in the cross is because when we see Jesus on the cross, remember Paul said just last week, he said Jesus was placarded before you. That what we see on the cross is our curse being born for us. That Jesus bore the, the curse that we deserve so that we could have the righteousness that he has. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Notice what it says in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. How, do you, how, do, how are you redeemed from the curse of the law? You're redeemed from the curse of the law by not relying on your own works but relying on the works of Jesus. Let me quote to you here Martin Luther from his commentary or lectures on Galatians. He says of Jesus, he says when he's hanging on the cross, he's not acting in his own person now. Now he is not the son of God born of a virgin, but he is a sinner who has and bears the sin of Paul, the former blasphemer, persecutor, and assaulter, of Peter who denied Christ, of David who was an adulterer and a murderer and who caused Gentiles to blaspheme the name of the Lord. In short, he has and bears all the sins of all men in his body, not in the sense that he committed them, but in the sense that he took these sins committed by us upon his body in order to make satisfaction for them with his own blood. You know, as, you read, as I read that, you could insert your own name in there. Right? He says he took the sins of Paul, the blasphemer, of Peter, who denied Christ, of, of Tommy, the liar, and the adulterer, and, and the, 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 the murderer, all of, whatever it is your sins are, Jesus took them on himself. And the question is, will you have faith in his work and not your own? Will you have faith in what he did and not in what you do? Will you have faith in what has been provided for you? Because it, it will change everything. You know, this morning, I'll close with this, Father's Day. My youngest daughter is in airborne school right now. She's a West Point student. She's in airborne school. And tomorrow morning, she makes her first jump, first parachute jump. And she had to call me this morning before church. I'm like, yeah, I got, I'm working on my sermon. I'm getting ready. She's like, come on, Dad. We talked this morning. And I said, tomorrow's your first jump. You excited? She said, I can't wait. And I said, how are your friends doing? She said, they're all nervous and really scared. <laughs> and I said, well, why are you not nervous? And she's like, I, I don't know. You just got to do what they told you, like trust your equipment. And I'm like, that's exactly right. And I said, keep your feet and knees together. Right? I tell her that every time I talk to her. In other words, the, the difference, but, but when you jump out of an airplane... The difference between being nervous and not being nervous is whether you trust your equipment and trust your training. 
If you honestly believe that that parachute is going to catch you and that you're going to hit the ground and with your feet and knees together and you're just going to roll out of it, why wouldn't you be excited? Why wouldn't you be? It's the same way with the gospel. We, all of us, many of us are nervous and we wonder and we, we think about and wonder about whether God cares for us. Trust the gospel. Trust the equipment. The cross has been placarded before you. When you begin, become nervous, when you become anxious, when you wonder if God really loves you, look to the cross. Think about that. Let me pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would just uh, continue to, to draw us to the cross over and over again in this book of Galatians. Um, that, that it becomes, make it so it becomes just part of our uh, muscle memory, if you were. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen.